podcast. Hello, I'm Ruth. And I'm Tina. And this is Talking Talking Smash. Smash. (laughs) The podcast where we wear scarves and talk about Smash. Tina. And yes, Ruth. What scarf are you wearing? I am wearing a... It's either... I don't know if it's exactly navy. I don't know if it's just like a deep... It might be a royal blue, a deep royal blue. Um, oh yes, got a jewel to it to the light. I see. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a jewel tone to it, um, and it's like everything I love because it's like crushed velvet, and it's also like got fringy macrame bits on the side yes. that are. I'm holding it up to the camera. So Ooh, yes, very nice. But yes, I um, see the velvetiness too, which is quite yeah. Always I nice in the scarf. This is one like I actually like have worn out places. I like this one. It's pretty. Yeah. And tell me about uh, tell me about your bold choice for a scarf. <laughs> so my scarf might also be called a throw blanket. Um, <laughs> it is. Hang on a second. My phone is doing something. There we go. All right. Yes, it might also be called a throw blanket, but it is. It is chenille in the same color family as your scarf, really. It is. Um, yes, I would call it a royal navy. And it, too, has fringe at the end. It does. Yes. It's lovely. fringe. Yes. And you look, it is very cozy. You look like one of the March sisters <laughs> in the Greta Gerwig Little Women. <laughs> oh, don't get me started on the Greta Gerwig Little Women. And like so, I I really like it, the Greta Gerwig. But I'm mystified by the costumes. I don't, I feel, I don't understand the costumes, but somebody did, and I know, like, and it's not, it's not, like, I'm fine with anachronisms. That's that's not the issue. I guess what can. Like the stuff that confuses me about the costumes in Little Women is like when they're more dressed up to go to the beach than they are to like go to the Christmas to, party. Or- yeah, like they just and and the hair is just so modern at times. I don't. Times. I don't recall if we <laughs> talked about this in our last episode. It's it's highly possible, but I also love that. And no one ever point, you know, no, in no film is it ever pointed out that the marches are the kind of poor where you still have servants. You know, that when people argue about the costumes online, which I am part of Little Women costume Twitter, (laughs) but (laughs) um, people say, well, they're poor. And, you know, people say they're they're poor. That's why things look the way they do, because they're poor. And it's like, they're poor the way they the have. Bennett sisters are poor. Yeah. And in prejudice, it feels yeah. like. Maybe a little yeah. poorer than that, but not like poor. Yeah. And and there's stuff like, I, okay, so there's stuff. There's a lot. You know, I, I, the costumes in Little Women are such that there's so much criticism of them. And some of it, I think, is just petty, like nitpicking stuff. And then some of it, is like just for like costume history nerds. And then I think some people like love it without knowing why they love it. 
or being able to like say like like I'm trying to get more compelling arguments for why people love the costumes in Little Women. Greta Gerwig versions. Yeah. So like I Taylor's like the costumes. Yeah. <laughs> I like the costumes fine. I liked the whatever. Like I, I looked for it because they talked about it in interviews so much about mm-hmm. how Lori and Joe would be like trading clothes and costume, you know, and costume pieces. Um, mm-hmm. So like that was kind of neat when, oh, look, she's wearing a cravat kind of. Yeah. That um, I love. So that, that I liked was all good. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't have any quibbles with the costumes, but like, I know that book very well. And <laughs> if like, there is a second where I'm confused about like what timeline or whatever we're in, like that's like, so the whole okay. like time frame did not work for me. I did enjoy the hot professor bear glow up. That was fun. <laughs> And like the Bohemian New York stuff, that was yeah. uh, fun. I thought that the time jumping was a fun, fresh take. And there have been so many film versions of Little Women. So it's kind of, I think where we have the room now for somebody to like do a bold take on it. Yes. Um, and so I think... That yes, was fine. I, I think, think the costumes could have helped to differentiate the time periods a bit. Um, my husband had no trouble following it, and he does not know the book. My oldest just hated the movie, and my youngest, and my oldest knows the book, and my youngest just didn't. My youngest could not keep track of of what was happening when. Um. So it was like a mixed bag. Like the adults liked it more than the kids. I thought the thing I liked best about the costumes and the hair and makeup is how deliberately they styled Saoirse Ronan and Laura Dern to resemble each other. And I really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. That was my favorite thing about the costuming. Yeah. And... Yeah. And again, I've only seen this movie once and it was a long time ago now, but like, I agree. Yeah. We, there's definitely room again. It's such a familiar story. There can certainly be a deconstructed little women, but I just, it did not work for me overall. Like I thought it was a little, um, I don't know, twee or something. Like I thought there was, there was like kind of deconstruction or for deconstruction's sake, as opposed to, it did not work for me, but I loved Laura Dern in it. How can you not love Laura Dern? And I mean, she's things. delightful. Yes. And I'm obsessed with Florence Pugh. I think that she is like just everything. I want Florence Pugh in everything. She has not missed. Um, I adore her. And I think we haven't had like a really, really great Amy in several decades. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah i thought this was just oh she did a i think and also i really like that they didn't cast multiple actresses for amy because that was the thing i did not like about the winona writer mm-hmm. little women i like a consistent amy and florence Pugh did a really good job i think of playing yeah. her as a little kid and as a young woman i agree i think this is the only thing i've actually seen florence Pugh in so I've seen her in Midsummer, which Mm -hmm. is not 
a genre that you're super into because <laughs> that's horror it's scandinavian yeah. horror the best mm-hmm. kind although it's midsummer is really cool because it's a horror movie that takes place in like in the sun it's it's daylight out it is yes. blinding sun and that's just really cool because you don't usually see horror movies in the light with, of day yeah like white and yellow and like cornflower blue as the palette you know <laughs> um and and uh i saw her in black widow and spoilers that aren't spoilers for hawkeye the disney tv show but she's in hawkeye too and she's just great did you see that lady Macbeth? i didn't i have to see okay. that again i have not seen it it looked yeah, I haven't seen like her first few things. Like, and I also surprisingly haven't seen her in the wrestling movie. And I remember when that oh, came out. Yeah, yes, I am surprised family. about that. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know why yeah. we haven't seen it. We meant to. Well, <laughs> I wrote the old Netflix engine. It's probably yeah. on some streaming service now. So it probably is. But yes, that should be like fun family viewing. Probably. Well, you probably have to check first, but yeah. Speaking of finding things on streaming, where do we watch Smash now? <laughs> it's I not checked, on. <laughs> I know. I checked on Peacock, and it is not yeah. on Peacock. I downloaded Peacock today, and it's not there. I'm so I am going off my like old notes and like scenes because we uh, we had prepped for the uh, we had partially prepped for this episode like months ago, and then you know life happens repeatedly mm-hmm. and so uh yeah so i have like yes so i have notes that i thought were more thorough mm-hmm. and are not yes. as well thorough I as have, i would have liked yes i have rewatched it so okay. um and yeah because i it like a grown-up well no yeah because i had purchased it originally um way back when we started i'd purchased oh gotcha so, Though I haven't checked recently. Who knows if it's even still available for purchase? It probably is. But the fact that it's not on Peacock. Yeah, it is. It is not on NBC.com. It is not on Peacock. It is not on Hulu or Netflix. (laughs) So that's something to consider. Um, Mm -hmm. I am still pro talking about season two. Just have to figure that part out. (laughs) Maybe... (laughs) maybe we'll we'll do season two when it returns to a streaming platform as a big like welcome back smash spectacular yeah so well let us talk we have at long last made it to the end of season one episode finale the finale bombshell yes so so do you have the synopsis i sure do the nbc.com synopsis is the big night is finally here tom and julia race against time to save the show while derek makes a decision that will change the lives of karen and ivy forever and this episode was directed by michael morris and written by Teresa rebick and it originally aired may 14th 2012 Excellent. Yes. Oh, well, we will be heading to the 10-year anniversary of 
smash, I guess, this year. We will. Oh, maybe there's going to be a fancy new launch or maybe something's coming for smash. And that's why it's pulled because there's new smash content coming. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, dude. I don't, Just yeah, I don't think there's a huge grant, groundswell, but who knows? We, can we are a small vocal minority. Yes. So what was your scarf watch for this episode? I got one and it's Eileen in her big red fabulous scarf. Yes, I also got that. And I don't know how much of our, you know, digression into little women will leave in, but, um, you know, talking about costumes and costume choices, like this could be, we are just watching this too closely, but is there some sort of symbolism going on in terms of we started with so many scarves, so, mm. you know, and the earlier parts of the season, and now we're down to just one scarf, the star you know, scarf. You know what I think? I think because this episode was about wrapping things up. And so they wrapped everything up into one perfect red scarf. A lot of red this episode in yeah. clothing. I I might forget to say it later, but Ellis's red suit. Hello. I love him. Yeah, because he is the devil of our show. Yep. Um, but that suit was great. Oh, I and I before we jump into you know discussing scene by scene, I have a special surprise. Yay! Special surprise. All right. So I'm going to play this on the computer and just leave my headphone really close to it. And let me know if you can hear it. Hang on. Oh, here. Okay. You're already backing off this whole thing because you don't think I'm the guy to do it with. You're going to bail on me. Hey, I don't bail. I am still watching Smash, Chris. Yay! <laughs> that is a clip from 30 Rock from an episode that aired the very same week on NBC. Ah, that this, synergy leverage. Yes, it is synergy leverage. So it aired the same week that this, the Smash finale, season one finale aired. And it was, this is one amongst many things that often made me feel that 30 Rock was written just for me. <laughs> I mean... This, the Real Housewives episodes they did with Queen of Jordan. and I love those episodes yes. so much. Oh, yeah. And you don't even watch the Housewives, but, you know, so you can still appreciate I it. I used to. It was that weird compromise where I was like, you can't listen to shock rock radio around the kids. And then he was like, well, you can't, like, watch Housewives around the kids. yeah they're not great role models it's not great and yeah it is just women screaming but god i love it it's so great i watch it because um you know my friend may does chronic loaf you know which is like a disabled person watch party um because like you know disabled people can't like necessarily like watch stuff on a schedule and live tweet and do all that fun stuff so she like streams stuff and we will watch it together and it's like a drop in drop out social gathering Mm -hmm. and then you can like chill with other disabled people and watch stuff so like i've watched some vintage real housewives of atlanta Mm. which is definitely one of my favorite franchises yes that one is like my breaking case of emergency 
franchise where where mm-hmm. it's like I really need a, you know something new to watch like so I don't mm-hmm. watch it religiously like in real time but it is it's always there waiting for me but yes Yay. but yeah and that has become like my main use for Twitter now again I don't watch any of the shows in real time but a lot of times I will tweet about the show when I do watch it like several days after the fact and that's you know I've learned the beauty of hashtags because yes. then you can find the other people who are also watching it. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. You're learning. You're learning how to tweet. You're doing yes. so well. <laughs> <laughs> You're so proud. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. So back to back to Boston. Who will we it start be? This, Ivy yeah. or Karen? <laughs> yes, that's what we Where? see in the whole recap, you know, before Where it all we start began. the episode. And then we start with we see Tom and Julia scribbling, scribbling lyrics on the stairs while the audience is filing into the theater. And then, then we're backstage and we're in the point of view of whoever is playing Marilyn, just as the curtain is about to go up. And people are walking up to her and saying, you know, good luck, break a leg. And they're saying it directly to the camera because we don't know who it is. And this is all very Sorkinian. Um, in terms of the writers scribbling and racing to like mm-hmm. deliver the pages at the last minute. And the camera angle thing like didn't quite work for me in terms of the, you know, it felt very much like, you know, Playhouse 90 or something like that, where back in the early days of television, they're like, let's do something different. And so it felt a little clunky The I, I don't know. The, no, it's fine. I work. I liked it. It felt mm-hmm. it felt you like felt the hustle and bustle. Yes, of mm-hmm. a show that's shockingly about to go up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and then our our camera our camera Marilyn you know walks onto the stage and right before the curtain's about to go up, and then she turns to face the stage, and the curtain goes up, and the bright lights are in her face the camera's face and we fade to white and yeah and then we see a card on the screen saying 12 hours earlier and this is very sarkinian where you start with essentially the end of the episode Mm -hmm. and then you go back in time and you retrace your steps immediate race yes and um, so 12 hours earlier, we have the big four, Eileen, Tom, Julia, and Derek arguing on stage what, what, about what to do. And the camera is circling around them as they're squabbling. And Julia wants to postpone. Eileen says that'll be half a million dollars if they do that. Tom says it'll be the kiss of death. And Derek storms off saying, I need a Marilyn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Why can't they cancel one show? Because it's (laughs) (laughs) because there's already been so much bad publicity of the, you know, the of the of the one show that they had with Rebecca that really kind of did Mm -hmm. not go at all well. And then you have the whole hospital thing. And yes, I don't know necessarily know why it's half a million dollars, but I'll take Mm -hmm. Eileen's word for it. So, but basically it's like, we have to go on now or like the show is just dead in the water. And we see Dennis, good old ensemble member Dennis, and he is peeping through um, the doorway 
from the lobby and he's turning around to give the rest of the crew, the rest of the ensemble <laughs> updates about what he's seen and hearing. And they're all gathered there sitting on the stairs, including Ivy and Karen. Mm-hmm. And then both Ivy's and Karen's phones ring. <sighs> We're like, oh, is this it? But it's not the producers. For Ivy, it's her mom calling. And it's like, oh boy, Bernadette Peters is here. That's great. Um, and she's sure that Ivy is going to get the part because understudies don't get rehearsed in until after previews. Of course they're going to do you. I love the little phrasing of like rehearsed in. I like that. And Karen's call is from Dev, of course. She's being like, hi, Karen. I'm engaged to you now. And she tells him what's going on. And then we go backstage and Derek is desperately looking through Marilyn's costumes. And as he holds up each one, he flashes back to either Karen or Ivy wearing it. And we get to see a nice retrospective of the season that way. And then we hear Linda's voice over PA system saying, company to the stage, please. And everyone files into the house. And then Derek, without consulting the producer or the the creators of the show, strides onto Mm -hmm. the stage and says, Karen Cartwright, you're going on as Marilyn tonight. And then we cut to the opening credits. Derek, Derek, Derek. How do you, if if you have the luxury of having a montage play for you in your own brain, how do you not see that one person is better at this than the other one? (laughs) See, that's the thing. So we're supposed to believe that Derek is this genius director. And I feel sure I've made, I've brought this up before, but the fact that he thinks Karen is a better fit for Marilyn than Ivy really undercuts this premise that he's supposed to be a really brilliant director. Yeah. Um, because just, first of all, just purely on practical, physical realities she looks like a bad like targaryen extra when she has that wig on mm, yeah most of the time yeah and or there's a really know, bad shot that like like the last like later on when we see her you know dying as Marilyn. that mm-hmm. she does not look good in that wig. it is i think yeah i think the worst she looks in the wig is when she's wearing the purple dress like Mm -hmm. that purple kind of day you know column dress Mm, and yeah just that lilac color i don't think is good on her first of all yeah um and she just looks so bad with that wig in that dress it's like Anne, whatchamacallit Anne hathaway in brokeback mountain yeah yeah not everyone can or should go blonde yes so like and it's kind of fine from far away she's a total monet as marilyn like it's from far away it looks pretty and then when you get up close it's just a big mess yeah and and again she's a beautiful girl she's a beautiful woman she is Uh, Catherine mcphee noted donald trump supporter is gorgeous she has terrible taste in where her money goes but you know yes Catherine mcphee is an attractive person Yes, but and just like on a physical level, like she is a very attractive person, but she is a it it might be easier to believe her as Audrey Hepburn than as Marilyn Monroe. Yes. And she Catherine McPhee 
like Karen Cartwright, never got a handle on the sex appeal aspect of Marilyn. No, she never seems, you know, and, sensual. In- and there's so much to, like, you know, you know Marilyn, Mon- Marilyn Monroe as a person is endlessly fascinating because because we have so much of her thoughts about herself, you know, we have her diaries and things like that. And, and there's Marilyn Monroe in part is fascinating because she, everybody wanted to be her or to be with her. And she seemed to have total power over her sexuality. And yet it seems like she was, very unfulfilled by sex during her life and there's a lot of questions about was Marilyn Monroe queer she has expressed she expressed you know sexual and romantic thoughts about women in her diaries so I don't know if other people because I know Joe DiMaggio doesn't like never ever talked about her but and I know that like some of her co-stars, you know, just were so turned off by her eccentricities uh, on film sets. But she was, there was like a real, it seems like there was a real split with Marilyn in terms of like being sexy, but maybe not enjoying sex. And I don't know, a great director might've just used two Marilyns to, discuss the dichotomy of the personal Marilyn versus the public Marilyn and something like that. It's been done before, I know. But it's like, I don't understand why all the eggs are in the basket of one person who is so new and doesn't, simply doesn't have the skill set of the other person who knows the show. I backwards think, and forwards. Yes. Um, I think we're supposed to feel that Karen is the Amadeus and Ivy is the Salgari. And Ivy's <laughs> the one who's done all of the reading and the research and has like on paper has everything to do the part. And she's mm-hmm. done all of the preparation and like the technical preparation and the, you know, the experience and all of that. But, but Karen is the Amadeus, and she just has it, whatever mm-hmm. it is. So we but, never once see Karen working on her craft. Oh, wait, well, sorry. We see her work on it for like a few minutes with Dev, but then they just get into, I'm using air quotes, romantic, sexy couple stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know what, what school of acting that was that she that that dev was teaching her but that's fine and then yeah. we, she did go she did she did do that she did go to dance class or whatever were with the chorus with the ensemble kids that one episode where she sang the Adele song so oh that's right and <laughs> but that's that, it was that like her first time it was like her first time going it seemed like because I don't think they even went to a dance class. They just went shopping for dance clothes, but they told her she needed to be in a dance class. But they taught yeah, the her how idea to be. That she isn't. 
I still don't understand how Karen Cartwright has an agent. She is a natural talent, Tina. I don't know what else to tell you. Like, she's, she's a got pop it. singer. <laughs> like, <sighs> yes. Well, anyway. It's frustrating. It's frustrating yes. because it, you know, one of the things I've said repeatedly as we have discussed this show is that sometimes I'm confused about what's happening versus what's what the show is trying to tell us is happening Mm -hmm. and like upon this rewatch you know michael swift came off really different to me oh michael swift yeah did not improve with age oh yeah for sure and so and i know there have been other things throughout the show where it's like is what is the show trying to communicate versus what am i seeing and I don't know if the show is trying to communicate that Karen is just as good as Ivy. Because well, I don't see I don't see any evidence of Karen being just as good as Ivy. No, we don't. But her face is more symmetrical. So there is that. There is that. I wish, you know what would have been nice if at some point there had maybe been some comment about the age difference because another thing I wasn't sure with in the show is how close in age they're supposed to be or how far apart in age they're supposed to be. I feel that Ivy is supposed to be older, but I think only a few years older because I think we, we have assumed in the past that essentially Ivy started working like right out of high school. She started. Yeah. she was in the chorus of whatever, and that's where she mm-hmm. met Sam. And so, and she has been working for 10 years. So let's say Ivy is 28. Mm-hmm. And Karen went to college. So that would make her, you know, at least 22, 23. And let's say she's been in New York. She's been in New York long enough to get an agent, as you said, and mm-hmm. have a relationship and what whatever else so let's say she's like 24 25 Mm -hmm. like maybe she got an agent at like a senior showcase thing like sure she was maybe she was like the star of her performing arts program and just she got an agent somehow through that so maybe Mm -hmm. she like went to new york with an agent yes i don't know how it would have happened yeah, because like mm-hmm. I know there's like there's scouting programs, right? Like you know, around the rest of the country, because like, not every country has like a major, <laughs> you know, performing arts think, hub. So I mean, people show up to things like. Or, or someone... I think what might happen is like if, let's say you go to like the University of North Carolina or something, they might do their showcase. Go to New York to do their showcase there. Oh, that's I think how it. okay um and they invite all the agents and whatnot but they you know they come to them um i feel again not my but i was just thinking like so and we'll get back to like the episode but yeah yeah so this is like kind of one of so the casting of the show is one of the foundational flaws um i think we essentially we've covered that but like how interest you know what would it have been like if they had cast like two like legit broadway people as karen and ivy like if one of them had been megan hilty and the other one had been like 
Annalie Ashford. If it had been Megan Hilty and Annalie Ashford, that would have been amazing. Like, because, you know, if it had been two people who actually would be up for a role against each other. Yes. And I'm sure they must have been, you know, they must audition for the same roles Oh, the time. constantly. I, in fact, I, I'm pretty sure we've said that before because Annalie Ashford shows up briefly in an episode. And we actually, I remember noting that that was fun because her and yes. Megan Hilty, like they've both, you know, played iconic Glindas, you know, in Wicked and stuff like that. Yes. Or, ooh, the girl who played uh, Regina in Mean Girls, whose name I'm looking up right now. She would have been too oh, young, maybe. maybe. Um, yeah. He was probably a baby back then. But, oh, my God. Simon and I, again, I might have said this before, but we we got we saw Mean Girls like what like on her la- in her last week in the show. Mm-hmm. And she was so good. And yeah. Yes, she would have. Yeah, brought a lot to the table, I think. That would have been so fun. Okay. Listen, Steven Spielberg is still learning how to cast a musical. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you seen <laughs> West Side Story? Um, I have not seen it, but I mean, as a musical theater nerd, of course, like I have seen like lots and lots and lots of like clips and things. Um, and I, first of all, I don't understand why they didn't cast a singer as Tony, as the male lead. Um, that was a problem. Or at least, like, if you want someone with a very symmetrical face and, like, mm-hmm. a, a fan base, like, at least let someone else do the singing for them, like in the olden days. It's in the olden days, for sure. And, like, when it comes to the whole Ansel Elgfort situation i I mean i i don't fault the movie for having cast somebody who turned out to be a sexual predator um you know you 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 know i i i don't expect them to just like refilm all of the scenes with their male lead i do i haven't even heard that it's so hard to keep up with who's a sexual predator oh yeah yeah, he's a bad guy. Okay. He's like a soliciting underage fans type mm. of guy. Because he okay. also DJs. He, he, oh, no. Um, his, oh, he, his, like, his DJ name is something, it's a, like a play on his name. So it's like Ann Solo. <laughs> you know, and people go to see DJs perform and spin, as the kids say. And uh, yeah, no, yeah, he solicits underage fans. Let me recommend a movie to you with the least problematic, most adorable DJ in it. If I can remember the name. It's on Netflix, and I mm-hmm. think it's called uh, Ibiza, I believe. Okay. So it has Rob Stark from okay. Game of Thrones is mm-hmm. the DJ in question. I'm looking it up right now. So the it stars the girl who played Britta in Community, whose name oh Gillian, yeah Gillian somebody. Yes. Um, so she she has to go to Ibiza for this work trip. She has to land this big account, and she's only going to be there for like two days. And her two best friends 
our comic relief, decide to go with her. And they are played by Phoebe Robinson and Vanessa Bayer from Saturday Night Live. Oh, those are two great sidekicks to have. I love Phoebe Robinson. Yes. Phoebe Robinson is not, I would say, underutilized, but she's just, I don't see her being utilized. Well, I mean, she's, I think she's a mini mogul at this point. She has her own production company. Well, she has good her, for own, her She has her own book, whatchamacallit, publishing house, imprint, oh, whatever. Oh, okay. Well, good job, Phoebe Robinson, because yeah. you're hilarious. So, and she's written, like, I think two, maybe three books at this point. So mm-hmm. I feel she's, you know, she, she has a special, I think, I think she's just been busy doing like the books and other things and maybe okay, not cool. doing. So I think she's doing very well. But anyway, so the three of them go off to Ibiza and they're like, oh, come on. Our, our friend Gillian, Gillian, uh, you, you can't just work. We're in Ibiza. We got a party. We met these cool guys at the beach. Let's go to this club they told us about. And that's where Gillian meets Rob Stark from Game of Thrones, okay. who is the world's nicest least problematic dj oh yeah and it's a weekend of hijinks and it's a fun movie not for children but fun gillian jacobs gillian jacobs there we go so and rob stark from game of thrones gets to you know use his real scottish accent and it's fun so that's cool Yes, it was written and directed by women, and you can really tell. So, that's nice. Yeah. And wait, who's the guy? I I always forget this because he sounds he has a name so similar to the MCU guy. The director you like is that Paul Feig? Paul Feig? Paul Feig? Paul Feig, as opposed to Kevin mm-hmm. Feige. 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 Who's the MCU? Yes. Who's the MCU guy? And so yes. I always. So yes, your guy, Paul, say his last name again? Feig. Paul Feig directs women well. Yes, he does. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that is very true. So So does Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker. I don't think I've seen anything he directed. I know he directed Hope Floats with Sandra Bullock, who is in a movie I'm very much looking forward to. What else was Forrest Whitaker directed? He directed Waiting to Exhale. God. Oh, well, I've seen that. Dear God, yeah. I forgot he directed that. Oh, yeah. those are some great female performances. But Oh, so. Oh, okay. We were talking about Ansel Elgford okay. and West Side Story. Okay, so while I don't hold the movie responsible for like editing him out of the movie or like recasting at that point, because I mm-hmm. it's see, I could be wrong, but it seems as though the timeline absolves them mm-hmm. of any like uh, guilt by association. I do think that they baited and switched us with the promotional tour because they kept him out of everything. And I thought that that was their way of addressing the situation. Like, okay, mm-hmm. stuff's come out about this guy. He's not, so we're not, we're just not, we're not going to put him in your face. And then in like the last two weeks of the promotional tour, he was everywhere. He was on panels. He was up on stage with everybody. He was on red carpets. And that's where I got annoyed. Um, Because I think that they dropped the ball on Mm -hmm. on handling the situation. 
I think they should have come out with a statement. I actually wrote one and performed it for people because I just thought it was so colossally mishandled that like they should have just come out with a statement basically like, you know, we're aware of the accusations and we, you know, I don't have my prepared statement in front of me, but like basically like we are, you know, we, we know about the allegations and, you know, we are dismayed and, uh, you know, of course we support the, the, you know, the women and girls <laughs> in question mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, we didn't know about this until after the movie was filmed. Um, but so by going forward, you know, Mr. Elkford will not be involved in the promotional tour for the movie. We will also not be submitting him for any awards or accolades. Ooh. That's what they should have done because he is already, they are, they are absolutely, he's, he's already included on their for your consideration. List. Oh, yeah. Well, that is a bummer. So it sounds like they maybe took a quasi-principled stance, like in the beginning, and then they're like, "Ooh, oh, I don't like these principles. I'm very worried about my money making. I mean, my movie making some sort of decent box office. Forget these principles. Get the pretty boy out front again." Is that is he? But he's like, is he even that big? I, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm the wrong person to ask. Um, I'm probably not the target audience for him. But I just, I don't see him being this like heartthrob i don't know i, I don't know yes, again i am let me look at him yeah i don't know I, I don't i don't think he has anything particularly like special but he's on. been in like kind of teen girl movies though hasn't he where like he, oh he was in the fault in our stars and divergent okay so, yeah so i guess so, he's yeah. definitely when he I'm looking at pictures of him when he was a little bit younger and his hair was like shroopier and I, I I guess I can see it then but I don't know he's I, I don't particularly find him attractive well here are people I never found particularly attractive Leonardo DiCaprio Matthew McConaughey mm -hmm. yeah never found them attractive um never found henry cavill attractive until he played the witcher he is so attractive as the witcher it's like somebody did a great tweet about that but it's like when i say i'm attracted to henry cavill i mean this oh <laughs> yes i've seen <laughs> not many this. memes <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah, yeah um you know someone on a podcast they said you know uh, i listened to said they talked about how you know there's the phrase like cleans up good like oh this person cleans up good uh -huh. like, in a suit and like oh wow and they're like henry cavill grimes up good <laughs> does that's how i felt about um val kilmer in willow him and I joanne whaley oh my god i have to show you willow i love mm -hmm. willow so much and they're and they're 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 bringing a willow series to disney oh. plus which brings me joy Mm -hmm. I have a feeling I will love Willow when I see it. You uh, know? It is so good. Like, there's bits of other stuff in it. I and mean, all of these, like, high fantasy things. I mean, it's hard, you know, yes, it's not not Lord of the Rings, you know, <laughs> but... 
And I've been on a real high fantasy kick lately, again, because, uh, you know, it's been the holidays and I, I have a sprained ankle. So mm-hmm. I've, I've seen the Wheel of Time. I've seen The Witcher. Um, I guess primarily those two. So which, So Willow would like slot right in there. It is so great. It's a really tight movie. It was supposed to be a whole franchise, but it didn't like do the numbers it needed to do. Sadly, I love it. That's probably one of the movies I've seen most in my lifetime. We saw that movie like a lot in the theater before. Like, I guess people. I remember my family and I going back to see Willow multiple times in the theater. Like it was (laughs) it was a day one love affair. Willow. Yeah. Um, well, and now it gets uh, a second life in Disney Plus. So that's great. Yeah. And I will say, young Val Kilmer, attractive. Young Always Val attractive. Kilmer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in real genius, no, real genius. No, what's the one where he's like the spy? Real genius. Yes. No, that's the science one where they're like smart oh. kids at MIT. Well, it's at like a California-ish, you know, it's a California-ish MIT. MIT. Mm-hmm. Um, no, um, Top Secret is that what it's called? Oh, I haven't seen Top Secret. I am familiar with it, but I haven't. Uh... Yeah, yeah, it's but... Top Secret. Top Secret is really funny. It's really fun. I haven't rewatched it in a long time. I don't know if it all holds up, but um... but real ge- genius where they um, they make the hallway turn to ice so they can skate. Yes, and then at the end, like the entire house is filled with popcorn. I have seen Real Genius a lot. It is. I always like the line, like, um, you're smart. We're we're smart. People need us. (laughs) All right. All right. We have to get back to Smash. Smash. Okay. All right. So we made it to the opening credits. Yes. We're slightly different this week to like... um, or this episode to, I think, acknowledge the finaleness of it all. Mm-hmm. We had like, we had the word smash and like lights with the little light bulbs. And instead of the typical like strings uh, warming up that we have in the regular credits, we had brass instruments warming up and it wow. was fun. Yes. But so then we are, um, we are, we are on stage. It's like a minute after Derek has made his unilateral pronouncement. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and everyone like, is... Re- how is Eileen not the final say on stuff like this? Yeah. And I, I agree that she would be, but this is just one of those, like, okay, dramatic, you know, we're doing this for whatever drama reasons. Yeah. I, fine. So I agree. It's implausible, but I accept it. Um yeah. So everyone's rushing around on stage. Linda and the wet redheaded wardrobe person are talking to Derek about the costumes. And they're like, nothing fits. Rebecca's like a foot taller. Um, (laughs) Tom and Julia have binders of sheet music and are reviewing it with Karen. Julia takes uh, a breath to give Karen like a seven minute pep talk and hugs her. And Julia and Tom exchange these very sitcom faces uh, behind Karen's back during the hug of like, oh my God, what's happening? Yeah. Um, and here's something I will say, uh, all three of, all three of them, uh, Christian Borle, um, Deborah Messing and Jack Davenport do like a phenomenal job this episode, like getting every ounce of comedy out of this. 
all of this stuff that they can Mm -hmm. in addition to like all, all the drama that's going on. So I enjoy that. And then out in the house, we see Ivy's Ivy in her teal shirt in the darkness. She is sitting in the audience, this little dot of stillness amidst all of this activity Uh, And Ellis sits down behind her or next to her and says, it should have been you. And speaking of wardrobe, like, I feel like what Ivy was wearing was like a very conscious choice. Like, that's one thing going through this, um, doing this deep dive on Smash. Like, I think two things I noticed and appreciated more were the wardrobe beyond the scarves, of course, which we were already noticing, um, and the choreography. But, like, something about, like, her shirt. Like, I don't know why it stood out to me, but you know how we've talked about at the Oscars when someone's wearing a winner dress? Like, Mm -hmm. when they know they're going to win the award, they're going to win Best Actress, they wear the dress, you know, because they know, like, Sandra Bullock knew, and Mm -hmm. she wore a winner dress. And um, I feel like Ivy's shirt was, like, a loser shirt. It was just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what about it, um, but it was just, maybe it's that like the color, you know, the color of it was so off from what, you know, everyone, you know, everyone else had going on. I don't know, but yeah. Well, Ellis is right. It should have been her. Mm -hmm. Or Annalie Ashford. (laughs) 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 Um. So then we're in the upper mezzanine lobby and Tom and Julia are working on the closing number, which is something that they have been tasked to do since the end of the last episode. And Julia is really tanking it on the lyrics part. Mm -hmm. And Tom is like, it's fine. We have so much time. It's it's totally fine. And I really like, I really like here. How like honest Tom is like it's something I like in general Tom is not afraid to tell Julia when her work is not good enough yes and I just think that's like so great as a collaborator and a friend Mm -hmm. that there's no yes yeah there's no bullshit like he doesn't like yeah they just work together so well yeah he's kind of just like yeah this ain't it babe you know Mm -hmm. um I enjoy that too and again if you are collaborating with someone in that way like you have to be able to be that kind of forthright so yeah good for them maybe they'll make it through this whole bombshell debacle um and eileen is in the lobby making calls kind of putting out fires saying oh everything's fine (laughs) it's all so exciting (laughs) ellis confronts her and says he didn't poison rebecca so that karen could ruin the show instead and then eileen fires him oh you're fired and he's wearing his great red suit and he is just like such a complete and utter villain at this point um yeah and no one seems to acknowledge that what he's done is criminal um no no yeah i it's like they 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 the show i think preemptively tries to judge it by that scene where Rebecca is like, I tasted it. That's why I drank more. So it like, mm-hmm. she wanted out of the show. So like, that's how the show is like, oh no, it's fine. Like no, no criminal charges need to be pressed because Rebecca <laughs> we don't need actually, to she yeah. tasted it immediately. She, she chose to drink more because she wanted mm-hmm. to make herself sick. So 
you know. Yeah. But I love how Ellis is also <laughs> like, yeah, I put peanuts in their smoothie. Everyone knows that. <laughs> yeah. Like, <"Do> Ellis? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he is full Disney villain now and yeah. I love him. So then um, we go back on stage and like the last episode, I love how we're just in the theater and it's great. I love a brick wall painted black. I love it all. So Karen and Michael Swift are on stage in full costume doing Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which I believe we saw Rebecca do in the last episode. Mm-hmm. And Karen turns in the wrong, wrong direction and Derek calls a halt. And Julia comes on stage to correct Karen on a lyric that she got wrong. And Derek says, reset. And then all the lights go out. And Derek yells, oh, gods. Um, (laughs) But this gives Julia and Michael Swift a chance to have a little tete-a-tete on stage in the dark. Where he's like, I'm not going to keep pursuing you. I get it. And then we hear their theme music play one more time mm-hmm. and then frank walks into the house and just in time to see julia touch michael's arm as he tells her that his wife is divorcing him and then the lights come back on and now julia can see frank seeing them and she goes to follow him as he walks out and she falls into the street and says it wasn't what it looked like and he's like I know it wasn't, but it's hard. And he says, and she says that they have to have faith that the good in their relationship will outweigh the bad. And then Leo walks up and they go off to have family lunch together. And I'm like, there's still a song to write, Julia. (laughs) (laughs) Leo magically morphed back into a teenager for me in this episode. I don't know how he does that. Sometimes (laughs) he looks 30. And then sometimes, uh, I don't know if it's just like the actor is able to tap into that like more youthful side. And also, maybe he just looks more youthful outside in natural light than he does. Maybe. Maybe that helps too. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think think that guy's a good actor, Emery Cohen. And it's just, but yeah, something about, it's... um, you know, Secret Life of the American Teenager. Oh, yeah. Well, you know the girl who played Adrian, Francia yeah. Risa. So, mm-hmm. um, so Secret Life was in the early aughts, and she was still playing like a college freshman like three years ago on, yeah. on Grownish. <laughs> oh wow! And oh, I think that's... she's in a new show now where she actually plays an adult. Um, but so she, I think, I feel like she played a teenager for like a solid 15, 15 years. And it must be like this thing where like when you're towards the end of that period where you can play teenagers, like maybe it just mm-hmm. kind of like really flips on and off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like, I think Ariana Grande is like utterly believable as like, a, you know, in Wicked. Is that supposed, there's the sort of supposed to be college age, right? Is that? I, yes, I or, think that's yeah. college. You know, it seems older than like prep school or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and but like, and I, yeah, and I like, like Ariana Grande still reads to me as like late teens, early 20s. Yes. I don't know how old she is. I know she's married, like, she's an adult. Mm-hmm. She's been engaged seven times. She's or been engaged seven times or something, you know? Yeah. She's, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, there's there are those people who just like or like yeah. work as they still work as 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 that age. I, I I always would joke that like Emma Caulfield played a college student before she played a high school student. Oh yeah, she was on Nine Two One Zero. Yeah, yeah. Or like Gabrielle Union, didn't she play teenagers for like oh, twenty years? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. No, Gabrielle Union. Yeah, she was. Uh, yeah, I mean, she, God, she is just so beautiful. <laughs> um, yes, great skin. Yeah, yeah. She was like twenty-seven or something in Bring It On. So yeah, so Emery Cohen was maybe he was one of those people for a long time, and then like just maybe the, the switch flipped one day. Where he, I think it's his voice too. His voice was like too deep. <laughs> yeah, his voice is very deep. Yeah. So, but yes, he was, he's fine in this episode and he's in and out. Um, then we see the dance rehearsal for the Le- Lexington and 52nd street song, the toxic masculinity song. We get to hear the, or no, we, no, we don't hear it now. We hear it later here. We, we see them doing a dance rehearsal for it. Mm-hmm. So we hear like the dance captain counting off the dance, ca- dance captain slash real life choreographer, uh, Joshua Burgas, uh, going like five, six, seven, eight. And while that's going on, Tom tries to talk to Derek about Ivy playing Marilyn instead. And mm-hmm. Derek just brushes him off. And then Tom and Julia go back to work on their song. And that whole, the good outweighing the bad thing has given Julia an idea for some lyrics ah. that might not suck. <laughs> so, Oh, then, oh, we see the wolf number. So Karen is on stage. Um, oh, Ka- yeah, Karen and the dressers are practicing getting her costume changed in time for Wolf. Mm-hmm. And then we see that number. And Dev is now in, in the audience in the house watching. And Ivy watches from the wings. Like, very, oh, oh so sad, so forlorn. We, and so she's watching. And we see her remember herself doing that song at the fancy investor party mm-hmm. and here i really like how they do the intercutting between the number you know the full-scale number that we're seeing now mm-hmm. intercutting with what we saw then when they were doing it on the off the cuff at yeah. the investor party and i really love the choreography of this number too so it is it is marilyn and all the gis and it's it's just great, and I really could see this as like a number in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Mm-hmm. You know how Jane Russell has that number with like the gymnastics team in, in the gym. <laughs> yes, yeah. <gasps> so I think this is really kind of like in line with that stylistically, and it's very fun. And just again, color wise and costume wise, it's fun. You know, Marilyn slash Karen is in this like black sequin dress and we've got like army guys in like army shirts and then army guys in white tank tops. And then Mm -hmm. we also have the USO band and they're wearing like these sharp red jackets. So there's just lots of color and it's great. So but then Ivy comes up to Derek after the number or during the number and asks him why it wasn't her. And Derek says she has something you don't. Ugh. Um. Yes, that hurts. Which it hurts. Yes, and then Dev, who the master of poor timing, takes that moment to ask Ivy if she has found 
the engagement ring, which he left in her room. And she says no. And then she runs to the dressing room and we see her pull that engagement ring out of her bag. And then Eileen comes up to Derek after the number's over and they're both on stage and says, we need to talk now because after all, I am your boss. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (sighs) this is the only number that's gone right so far today. She can't learn all of this in one day. She can't do it. Um, And then, oh no, Karen was in the wings practicing the costume chains and she heard all of that. Oh no. So then Karen goes to the dressing room and she sees the the ring box on her little table and Ivy's like I put that there and Ivy tells her that she and Dev slept together the other night um that Dev first proposed and she yeah and she was like it's very Joe DiMaggio of him because Ivy is all about bringing it back to Maryland yeah so then Karen confronts Dev in the house in the audience and then Derek and Eileen are still talking on stage and here overhear some of that. Linda comes up to bring Karen back on stage. Eileen starts to say something that seems like they're going to fire her, but then Derek interrupts and says they're going to practice the costume change again. And then he's going to talk to her about act two. And so then Karen leaves to practice the costume change. And Derek turns back to Eileen and he has this whole monologue about how he, he, he goes, I hate collaborating. I hate it. What um, a great industry for you to get involved <laughs> in. Because, you know, theater, where you just work by yourself. Yeah, often a room, what, often a garage. I, what, I, yeah. what, what is, we also never see Derek being a brilliant director. <laughs> really don't. <laughs> no. Yes. He just makes these pronouncements sometimes, like, you have her spirit, or whatever, or use that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it is hilarious that a theater director would hate collaborating, because that is, you know, the entire job description. Um, yeah. But I enjoy the monologue and the delivery, nonetheless. And Derek is such a contrarian that I can see him as a theater director who hates collaboration. Uh, so. Basically, he tells her if she wants a hit, he'll give her one, but she has to leave him alone. He'll do it. Um, and then coming off this confrontation and kind of being uh, had her having her knees cut off, Eileen turns around and guess who's here? It's Jerry. Oh. <laughs> Just one trash man after another. <laughs> so then we cut to Tom. He is sitting in the stairwell backstage and Sam finds him there. And Tom, like many other people, is having a crisis of confidence or a crisis of faith. And he says to Sam, tell me why we do this again. And Sam says, you know, gives him a very nice little pep talk. He says, it brings you joy to write a song. It brings me joy to sing it. It brings the audience joy to hear it. And it's very nice and not cloying. And he kind of like, just kind of, he he really, I feel like, Leslie Odom like really throws the lines away in a nice way. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy that there is not like inspirational music playing behind him while he says this, or if there was, it was very subtle. So then we um, cut to Jerry and Eileen. Jerry's like, you're putting an understudy in with an ending that doesn't work. And Eileen says with a tinge of defensiveness that she's very good and the ending's being fixed. 
And, you know, she pours herself a bourbon from the lobby bar. For Eileen, she has earned a bourbon. Um, Jerry's questioning how she's financing all of this and asks, is Katie giving you money? And this is where we all get to rejoice that they didn't bring Katie back. Thank Um, goodness. Yay! And Jerry says... What was her awful nickname? Mahatma Katie? Mahatma (laughs) Katie. (laughs) Oh, I hate that everyone calls me that. (laughs) I hate that everyone calls me Mahatma Katie. I've been to India once. (laughs) (laughs) I gave out some free backpacks. It was great. So Jerry uh, says Jerry wants uh, Eileen to accept his help. And he's like, I'm here to help. And she says, no. And he says he's bought a ticket for tonight. So he'll get to see what she's she's been able to do without him. So then we go back. We're in the upper mezzanine lobby where Tom and Julia are still working on that ending. And Tom has gotten to the point of orchestrating the song. And he's giving it like this gospel style orchestration. And they argue about that because Julia thinks it's being hacky. But the real problem is she can't do it, can she? Meaning Karen. Um, Then Julia suddenly rushes to the bathroom to throw up, comes back, and is like, as you know, Tom, I never throw up. Why, the last time I threw up, I was pregnant with Leo. And here's a spoiler alert for season two. They never follow (laughs) up on this. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of those threads that they're just like, ah, no. No, thank you. Yeah. So Karen is backstage waiting to go on after practicing that wardrobe change that apparently the whole show rests upon. <laughs> um, when she, you know, and she's thinking in her head about the confrontation with Dev and Dev and Ivy and la la la. And she's just like, fuck it. And she bolts out of there. And then Nick Jonas shows up. Remember <laughs> Nick Jonas? He's the cutest of the three. Mm -hmm. I agree. So he was the child star who had invested in the show and Mm -hmm. Eileen had given him a Degas collateral. So he's shown up and he gives Eileen her Degas back for no reason. And Eileen confesses to him that, yes, the show is in trouble. And then she casually mentions that her assistant poisoned Rebecca Duvall and they both chuckle. Yeah. Then he asks, Rebecca Duvall again is like an A-list movie star. Yes. <laughs> and she's a human being who almost died. <laughs> so <laughs> but um yeah. Then he asks, why do you have that gorgeous blonde from the showcase go on as Marilyn? Mm-hmm. Um because I think we're desperately trying to keep the tension alive of who did we actually see in the beginning? Yeah. Was it Karen or was it Ivy? We mm-hmm. have to keep uh, we have to keep the audience on tenterhooks. Who could it be? So then Derek is stalking around the theater looking for Karen and he sees an earring on the ground and then he picks that up and sees another costume piece and he follows the costume pieces to where Karen is hiding in just her Maryland slip and bra and it really sounds like he says he followed the bird crumbs instead mm. of the breadcrumbs. And that made me wonder if that was some sort of British turn of phrase. I wasn't. Oh, with. I don't know. It's all in the O's. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Call back. Um, then he gives a pep talk. There's a lot of pep talks in this episode. 
where essentially he's like, we're not here to work out our personal problems. We're here to exploit them. <laughs> and yeah. And, but this works on Karen and she's like, okay, I'm back in. So then off screen, Eileen, Tom and Julia must have approached Ivy about going on instead of Karen because they all feel that Karen can't do it. And so she has gotten into costume and they're like saying, thank you, Ivy, so much for doing this. When Derek and Karen come back and Derek is basically like, all right, Karen's here. We're going to get, you know, pick up right where we left off. And Ivy is left standing there in the dress for let's be bad. Mm. And it's like Ross in the prom flashback on friends. Yeah. And oh, you're so just sad. like, Oh, like, you know, let's just, you know, stab Ivy like one more time. Her boyfriend has told her, you don't got it, kid. And now it's just one more, you know, one more injury to add to the mix. Oh, but we're not done with Ivy, poor Ivy, because Bernadette Peters has driven up from Connecticut and shows up backstage to surprise Ivy because she knew they would pick Ivy. (gasps) And Ivy has to tell her. Face to face, they didn't pick me. That is Mom. the most heartbreaking oh. part for me. Yes. It just like having to tell, like ha- just having to look your parents in the eye and and tell them you failed. Mm-hmm. That's that's just sucks. And her mom is like trying Especially, to be supportive, and they but they yes. have this like weird relationship. And her mom has like all the success that Ivy's trying to earn and. Yes, but and especially when, you know, your mom, who you have this weird competitive relationship with, is being the most supportive she's ever been. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So that's very sad. And now we're back to where we were in the cold open at the beginning of the episode. Uh, Tom and Julia are finishing the lyrics on the stairs while the audience is filing in. And then... You know, we're seeing the similar, you know, point of view shot from the beginning, but now we see it's Karen and it's Karen that everyone is saying break a leg to and good luck to um, as she walks on stage and gets in place. And then we get to see the show progressing. We see a little bit of fade in on a girl. Uh, We see a little bit of 20th Century Fox Mambo. We see a little bit of Michael Swift singing Lexington and 52nd Street. And then we see the death scene that we saw when Rebecca Duvall did it last week, where it ended in crickets. And I have to say that bed has a great headboard. It is. Yes, it does. Oh, yes. So it's like this. Uh, it's like this curved headboard. It's like a. Oh, it's like an archway. Um, and the headboard is like padded pink satin with folds in it i can't think of the word right now ruching ruching maybe ruching maybe all right yes but it it is great and that headboard is very maryland i feel then we get to the new ending we see dimaggio singing a a reprise of mr and mrs smith to maryland's grave which gives karen time to change costume Derek comes up behind her and says whatever happens next you're a star then we hear the new song don't forget me and it works i love um, the song i, I love, do the, love song. This song. and it's a great yeah. final song and i think it was like this is one of the smart plotting things they did mm-hmm. i think 
in terms of having an ending that didn't work last week and then ending the the episode and the season with this new song that's a great song that we haven't heard before. And I think that was smart. And, you know, so we hop around, while she's singing, we hop around and look at all our main characters, including Ivy, who is alone in the ensemble dressing room, taking an entire bottle of pills. Um, but yeah, the Don't Forget Me really is a great song. Like some of the lyrics that I noted from it were like, when you hear a melody crying from some baby grand, don't oh. forget me. Mm. Oh, but there are some born to shine who can't do it alone. So protect them and take special care. And then finally ending with the line, uh, when you look to the heavens, something, 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 let me be that star. I love it. It's it's just, it's a great full circle. Yes. Lyric. Full circle. And I love right it. back it's to the beginning. F- yeah. It's just such a fantastic song, mm-hmm. man. Scott Whitman, Whitman and Mark Shaman are, are, are talented with a pen. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That Wolf song, not one of their finest hours. But <laughs> 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 I love seeing the full, chore- I love the choreography of the Wolf number this episode, but mm-hmm. the more you listen to the lyrics of that song, while like, I think it is believable that it could have been written in like the 50s <laughs> or 60s, the more you listen to the lyrics, the more you're like, ooh gross because <laughs> it's like oh if math and science aren't your deal just fuck your teacher <laughs> yeah wait a second i just realized i probably haven't shown you scott whitman and mark shaman's contribution to the marvel cinematic universe have i <gasps> no that's right because yes you're you're, you're you don't First of all, you're not as nearly online as I am. And also you don't do superhero online. So, <laughs> but no. um, yeah. Okay. So in the, in the Disney plus series, Hawkeye, the, sh- the series opens with um, Clint Barton, Hawkeye and his, his kids, they've come into New York city and they're watching Rogers, the musical, which is a musical. <laughs> An in-universe musical about Steve Rogers, the first, well, technically the second Captain America. Captain America. I'm not going to nerd out about this here. Um, (laughs) And it is fantastic. Adam Pascal is singing the role of Captain America. They have a a dancer dancing and lip syncing to that. But then Adam Pascal also plays like a New Yorker. He's New Yorker number one as well. So he's like, he sings two roles in this song. It is called Save the City. Um, It's great. You can, um, it's on like every playlist I own right now. It is available as a single. And then uh, what they did as a little, a little treat for us at the, at the end of the show for the post credits little present, um, they gave us like a full version of the song where it's not like you know cutting back and forth to like clint and how he's reacting to this he's musical not a about his friend fan. yeah <laughs> and he's also a character in it like because they're showing the battle of new york where they're like fighting loki and the chitauri and stuff like that oh, wow. and, yeah it's um oh well this sounds delightful hold on i'm gonna and speaking of adam pascal have you seen Tick, Tick, Boom yet? 
I haven't. I know I need to. It's very good. Hold on. I think we just have to take a quick diversion. And let me see oh, yes. All right. So I am sending you Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman's contribution to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, well, this is very exciting. Did you so this is email the, it or text Oh, I just, I texted it to you. Oh. Oh, wait, does that make, I can do it differently if you'd like. Oh, no, I'm just a. So, so this is the post, this is not what Hawkeye sees in the first episode. This is like the special, like, this is the, the fun full version one we got at the very end of the series. Should I watch this now? Oh, we should totally watch it now. Okay. All right. Oh my God. Well, I'm so oh, glad that exists. Yeah, oh. it's pretty terrific. It really is. Oh my gosh. Well, that was delightful. Oh, yeah. That brings me a lot of joy. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I sing that around the house a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yes. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. So, yes. These, uh, yes. Scott Women, Scott, Scott Whitman and Mark Shaman are national treasures. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's delightful. Oh, I love when there are fake musicals within like other within movies and television. Yeah. Like when The Simpsons had like the musical Streetcar Named Desire. Or... Oh yeah, and the Planet of the Apes musical. Like these oh, things yes. are they're fantastic. Oh, love it so much. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. So yeah, yes. So we got to see, you know, I got to see another new musical number today. Hooray! Yay! So, I figured yeah. since you know we only get we only got one uh, new song in the in the show, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we could have we could have a little bit more Whitman and Shaman as a treat. Yay! <laughs> we did it. Yeah. So I do think this was a solid ending to the season. Yeah. Um, and I liked how they ended on like the full like star moment, uh, Karen as Marilyn in like the gold dress with her arms above her head mm -hmm. and like the Judy slash Evita pose. Yeah. Um, yes. And then blackout. I think this number is Karen at her finest. Yes, I would maybe, say so. And maybe, I don't know if it's because we haven't heard ivy do it yet mm -hmm. but no she like when we get to the part of like the song where she does like the big belt i'm like okay yeah. all yeah, right she, she really does a good job in this mm -hmm. um and i think just also her acting is good yes. like you you kind of see this you see this girl becoming a woman you, yeah she's really putting everything into it just like derek yeah Holder. yeah Use that heartbreak yeah. And this also might be the most musical theatery she has sounded. Yeah. Over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. So hooray. So should we so, should we give some awards? Yeah. Final thought is that this is another thing, because I'm always like I mentioned it earlier, I'm always questioning, you know, what the show is trying to tell us. Like, is has this whole time, has Catherine McPhee been pulling her punches, like, as Karen? Like, has she been not 
intentionally not performing like as mm-hmm. musical theatery. Like, is this, it's like how Beyonce had to tone down the Beyonce for Dreamgirls. Mm-hmm. Like, Maybe. did she have to, yeah. Maybe. Or maybe like that was choices they were making on like the production side to in the way they whatever mixed her as opposed to how they. Yeah. There's a lot of production going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I feel like this one does sound the most like. And I will say, like, I believe her as Marilyn in this final song. In the final song. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The song. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, dying on the bed is not good. Yeah, yeah, but I think the dying on the bed is is just simply not good. Um, Or like because that didn't work for Rebecca last week either. I mean, she has the line "I'm more beautiful than ever," which I don't Mm -hmm. think is something a human being says. But um, yeah, I wonder if I wonder where that comes from because I it's been a while since I've actually like read. I used I went through a hardcore Marilyn phase in my teens where I read like a lot of stuff and I don't I don't know off the top of my head if if any of if there are any lines that are grabbed from like real life encounters you know from like her journals or from like interview clips or something like that yeah or Mm -hmm. like you know interviews that people did with you know people she knew and and I will say she did a little of the Marilyn voice for mm-hmm. the first time, really. Mm-hmm. I think this is the only time we heard her do like Marilyn voice yeah. in this whole season. So, and, you know, I appreciate that she didn't do it like super hard because yeah. again, she's supposed to be in private now, but she is kind of performing Marilyn a little bit for whoever's on the phone. Yeah. Presumably. Yeah. So I think she did okay as Marilyn in the death scene and then the song she did she did good yeah so good she yeah. smashed it <laughs> she did, she did <laughs> smash it did. and Ivy smashed down those pills in my head I remembered it as kind of like Ivy <laughs> just like cookie monstering the pills <laughs> and it was a little more subtle than that but it it mm-hmm. was like her pouring out like a whopping handful of pills backstage. So spoilers, Ivy lives. Ivy lives, people. <laughs> Don't worry. Ivy lives. And we're just going to ignore that whole Julia pregnancy thing. Yeah. Um so, farewell, Ellis. Oh. Yes. So um who do you think is our least problematic man of the week? I think it's Tom. But it could be Sam. It's like, that's kind of where we've been recently. Yeah. Like, I, like I, Tom has more to do. Like, Sam is just the sympathetic yeah, boyfriend. Yeah, Sam doesn't have you know? a lot to do this week. I would say, yeah. yeah, maybe Tom is the least problematic, you know, because he is a good writing he is a good partner this week uh, yeah julia and he's advocating for ivy because he really truly does he's thinking of the show not just ivy yes and you know he's yeah he's just he's 
he seems like a he's a, a, a lot of our criticisms about how men act in the workplace in Smash, you know. <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah, so Tom is we see Tom just being a good collaborator and working well with women. Yes. So congratulations, Tom, on yet another problem. And Tom was often a problematic man early in the season, so he's really come a long way. He has come a long way. Good job, Tom. Congratulations, Christian Borley. Yes. Borle? Borley. I think it's it's Borle, but I can't say that with 100% certainty. I've got to learn this. Ah, people's names. Um, well, you're you tend to be the one who's good with like knowing how to pronounce things. I tend to hedge my bets and say them four different ways. <laughs> and then he's like, one of these is gonna work. So <sighs> and then how about under five of the week? I can start if you want. This is challenging because yeah. there really are no yeah. other, there are no new characters this week. There are no new under fives this week. However, mm-hmm. the one that I found was when Tom and Julia are also, I'll digress for a minute. It is super extra and unrealistic that Tom and Julia would be frantically scribbling the lyrics on the steps of the theater in full view of the patrons coming to see the show, but I don't mind it. It's fine. It's It's fine. It's fun. Yes. It's fun. So I don't mind it. Um, so, but it's like scram- Amy. It's like Amy March wearing very Amy March clothing, even though realistically she would be wearing Joe's and Meg's hand-me-downs. Excellent point. And now we've pulled it all together. Yes. So yes. Um, so as they're rushing from the front of the house to backstage to give Claren like the lyrics scribbled out. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, they're rushing and they're bumping into people and they rush past uh, one of the ushers who says, program! <laughs> and I love her. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot of competition. And I will kind say, of, I will give yeah. a round of applause to all of those extras uh, that they were rushing past because they all did a good job of being yeah. like, huh? what? Huh? What? Yes. Yes. Lots of good background acting in this in this episode. Good job, all of you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. All right. So well done. Do, yes. Did, is there? Did, did you happen to find out the name of this performer who said program? No, because I think probably what it is is there. In reality, it was probably just a background actor acting uh, as the usher, and then they ADR'd someone else saying program. Yep. Um, because that way you pay less. So. Yep. Good collaboration, yeah. guys. <laughs> so Excellent. that lady and that voice person congratulations you have jointly Yay. won under five of the week and now you know i guess let's let's just chat briefly about the season overall on sure. this. wait before we do that i'll just um you know it's the the last smash lash Oh, I forgot season about Smash one. Yeah, and you know the the trend has been that most of the critics just they're just doing it because it's their job now, mm-hmm. and they don't. Yeah, people just aren't real enthusiastic about the show. Tina Fey is. She's still watching Smash. <laughs> um, you know, Noel Murray of av club uh agrees with us that like the best parts of smash 
are just the show business parts. You know, like the the line of Bernadette Peters, like, you know, being rehearsed in, like, you know, it's mm-hmm. just like it's the showbiz talk. It's like, you know, it's the any moment, any scene where it's like, oh, this is what working in theater is like. Like that's that those are the parts that sing. Yeah. Um and yeah, and Noel Murray just doesn't believe at all that Karen Cartwright would be going in. <laughs> it just strains yeah. all credibility. It really um, does. Yeah. Oh, I have a story. Oh, yeah. Um, I experienced this where it was the second night of previews. Oh, mm-hmm. this is actually one of one of the last pieces of theater I saw I saw before the pandemic started. Um, mm-hmm. So it was at Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey. They were doing a, a production of The Three Musketeers. And oh, cool. I believe I'm remembering this right. I believe it was directed by Rick Sordelay, who is... <gasps> yeah, yes. stage combat icon. Oh, my yes. God. You know, theatrical yeah, stage combat director of of all of the gods. Yeah. Um, so he was directing the show. And so it was, it was basically, you know, wall-to-wall stage combat. It was tremendous that's so cool i wish i had seen that man yeah i love shakespeare theater of new jersey yeah excellence yes so um the first night of previews you know there's the girl whatever i forget like you know the girl in the show Mm -hmm. who's like the sister of one of the musketeers and the love interest of the other musketeer or Mm -hmm. whatever so Uh, And she was involved in all the fights or whatever, but she was just, she was running down the stairs on the set, the onset stairs. And, you know, she just kind of like rolled her foot a little bit, didn't even (gasps) fall, um, thought nothing of it. Um, And then like after the show, she's like, you know, my foot's kind of hurting a little bit. And she went to the doctor the next day and her foot was broken. (gasps) So, and because Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey is not Broadway, you don't have paid understudies yeah. um, who are just like hanging out in case you uh, or, or like fully rehearsed, rehearsed in, um, yeah. <laughs> in, in case of this, you have people who are like, I'm technically the understudy, but really they're, uh, um, they're playing some other part. And so they, you know, they called around and they got this other girl and they had her go on that night. So essentially they kept her out of the stage combat choreography for the most part. She did very little of the stage combat choreography, but she did the whole part, but she had like uh, the script in her hands. It was disguised as like whatever if French medieval book or something, but That's so cool. Was, yeah. So I got to see, and it was, you know, so Rick Sordelay came out. I believe it was Rick Sordelay. I hope I'm not getting that wrong. Came out before the curtain and was like, hey, everybody, funny story. Um, <laughs> and guess what? You're going to see whatever her name was. Melissa, go on tonight. She's only, you know, she's only rehearsed today. She, you know, she's only been able to rehearse for like the past eight hours. And <sighs> this is so exciting. And enjoy the show. And it really was. Um you know, it was a very electric experience. And that is so cool. Yeah. But aside from that, the stage combat in that show was amazing. Like I bet had, it was. Oh my yeah. God. And again, every prop was used 
like, you know, there was like a metal pitcher and a metal, like, you know, serving platter. And you're like, Oh, he's going to do stuff with those. And he sure did. (laughs) Um, and at one point there were like 12 people with swords on stage, (gasps) all sword fighting at once on like two levels. Oh my God. This is so my jam. Oh my God. Oh, and speaking of, Speaking of fight choreography, if yeah. you have not seen The Wheel of Time, it I is haven't, okay. and I will. I will. Yes, <laughs> it is okay, and I think it's probably going to um, get better as it goes along. But in the cold open of the last episode of season one of The Wheel of Time is just this jaw-dropping like fight sequence, and you can watch wow. it like with zero context. So give yourself a little treat. And watch Yay! that. It is. Yeah, I have to. Phenomenal. I really have to watch. I have to watch more television. Gosh darn it! You know what are you doing? Taking care of those children. Watch more television. <gasps> yeah. So you know, if 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 God, if this pandemic ever ends, maybe I'll celebrate by getting like um, becoming like a subscriber to. Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey because I've never seen anything bad there. Even like when like they have like trot their junior company out for like a free show, it's always wonderful and perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, I have seen some bad things there, but overall, <laughs> the batting average is very good. So, gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> I can tell you more about the bad things later. Um, sure. And again, few and far between. So yeah, uh, so much there that I've loved. All right, but so we have reached the end. It's been a three or four year journey. I look back. Yeah. Um, But we have reached the end of season one. And so what has changed for you um, on this kind of deep dive rewatch that we've done? Like which character, you know, improves the most on Mm -hmm. rewatch and which unimproves the most time you watch um this is so easy for me so michael swift is the one that got less good for me mm-hmm. and then and then our pal ellis is the character that just got better mm-hmm. he got better i i think i think like kind of the show is is Smash it still doesn't find its footing <laughs> after a, re- a rewatch. Ellis is so fun and so camp, and it's just yeah. Ellis is really really fun. Um, and Michael Swift is not. It's not sexy. What's happening? No, it, it is very unsexy. Yes. Yeah. Um, though I'm glad it was sexy for the two of them in real life. Um, I, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, they glad. have chemistry. Yes. They have. I mean, they definitely have chemistry. It's yeah, it, it works. Yeah. So aside from Alice, who again is so is very fun on a rewatch, and I think because also Alice is like fully in the show business world of the show. As opposed to the personal drama world of the show. And we're all agreed. We want the show business world, not the personal drama world. Yes. Um, 
So and there I, is like you hear urban legend stories about like um oh someone aged out of playing young Cosette and like did something to like the cast like drinking water you know on her way out the door and like you hear these urban mm-hmm. legends like these little and I just think Ellis it, that's what his character does like his character is the one who who executes all those like I heard that when <laughs> you know <laughs> subplots yeah I will say Karen improved for me on a rewatch mm-hmm. in terms of I found her more sympathetic mm-hmm. um I found her more sympathetic and she is very okay. talented. So, and I felt for her more. I'm like, Oh, Karen, you know, you've got a shitty boyfriend and that sucks. And I'm sorry about mm. that. And you're, you're dealing with Derek and that's, that's weird on several levels. And yeah. yeah. So Karen improves for me. She's not my favorite, but she improves. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I think some like, fun, like the fact that I now know that September song the song that uh, Angelica Houston sang was written for her grandfather to sing. Yeah. Oh, that is, that makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. And I think the character that worsens for me, the most on rewatch is Katie. (laughs) I hate Katie so much. Katie's real bad. Yeah. So yeah. And Jerry, I think Jerry's fine because he's believable. Like, Yes, he is very yeah, believable. Very That's believable. true. But yeah, I think I had more of a soft spot for his smarmy charm the first time I watched than I do now. Mm-hmm. But but he's very believable in the way he's like being manipulative. In this episode mm-hmm. of Eileen, I'm like, I totally buy this. Because he wants her back, but he still wants to treat her like dirt. <laughs> yeah. He can't have it both ways. Yep. So do you have a problematic fave? Oh, gosh. I mean, I do like it when Jerry shows up. That man takes a drink in the face like nobody's business. He does. And also, it's like, it's like he, if you're going to have like personal drama, at least it's personal drama within the theater world. Like he's. Mm-hmm. you know like a partnership just dissolved a marriage and a producing partnership and like so that rivalry mm-hmm. and tension and all that stuff is there and I, I just I I guess I just enjoy the very adult relationship dynamics of like Jerry and Eileen and Nick yes and I love how Jerry like tries using money so much as like a lever mm-hmm. in their relationship or or his clout. And it's great. Like I do enjoy I enjoy those adult relationship shenanigans of that yeah. triangle. Jerry, yeah. Eileen, and Nick. Um and then I guess Michael Swift is still kind of a problematic fake because he's so talented and he's he's so good in this role of Joe DiMaggio. So it's like he was so good in that Bruno Mars thing down at La Mama. <laughs> he was so experimental. Um, I mean, I think, you know, Smash itself is such a problematic fave. <laughs> That's true. The whole show. Um, <laughs> How about you? My, prob- 
my problematic fave is very problematic. It's Derek. Because okay, mm-hmm. I pro- he's problematic. Yes, yeah. In the pilot, he is doing all sorts of sexual harassment, quid pro quo, like real bad mm-hmm. stuff. But like, he's very he gets he gets more layered as the season goes on, mm-hmm. and um, I find his relationship with Tom very interesting, mm-hmm. and I you know. I imagine like the alternate world where Derek maybe gets some therapy and <laughs> explores his repressed bisexuality and like stops maybe. saying things like I he's super problematic, but I just and I, I just yeah. really enjoy the performance a lot too, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it is a good performance. He is like and you know, you do need there because so much of the show takes place like in in like in rehearsal rooms and stages and stuff like that like mm-hmm. you really it you know it it works for the show for the director to be such like a, a villain but mm-hmm. like a villain that you still want to see what happens next with them mm-hmm. i just you know because every I, I, once I, in a while mm-hmm. yeah um, i just think that if like the whole like derek sexual is 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 a uh, is is a sex pest <laughs> and if they had dealt with that in season two rather than uh, if if we're looking just at season one yeah I, you know i think derek is my problematic fave because he is definitely a bad man in many ways mm-hmm. and but it again it is believable that a theater theatrical director would kind of use his power in um, unscrupulous ways and be Mm -hmm. so arrogant and uh, Mm -hmm. kind of be lauded for that arrogance. Yeah. That all works. And, but, you know, he shows like slivers of vulnerability every once in a while. Um, So, but yeah, season two will probably be, you know, would be a different story if we were looking at the entire arc of smash. Yeah. Um, But yeah, speaking of season two, let's talk about what we want to do for season two. I mean, I think I enjoy doing this. I just have to, I you know, I have to either look at, like, the pricing for what buying season two of Smash costs. Like, what a thing to invest in. Season two <laughs> of Smash. <laughs> yeah, that's a real, that's a real, um, you know, small club you'd be, yeah, we'd be joining probably. Yeah. Um, uh, granted, people, we were the people who bought advanced tickets for Sex and the City too. That's true. Because that we were another small club. It was going to sell out. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I listen. I enjoy doing this. It's a fun hobby, and I are think, you done? Do you feel done? Or I think here's my proposal. What if we did an episode that was just about all of season two as we remember it? Well, because I'm just thinking, like, it will take us probably four years to get through season two based on our our current pace. And again, it's not like, you know, four years are going to pass one way or another. Um, But maybe, maybe for some 
closure or semi-closure, um, we do like one spoiler-tastic season two, what we remember in terms of what stood out to us as the things that like made us the most livid. Uh, <laughs> and um, then, and then we could proceed like episode by episode at oh. whatever pace. Oh, that could be we, fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we could do a, like a season two, you know, yeah. Like a, yes. I like that. I see what you're, I see where you're going with this. Mm-hmm. So that way, if there's anyone who really is counting on us to, yeah. um, uh, you know, to get through season two, we've given them something to, to chew on. And yeah. yeah. And then we, you know, we'll, we'll do an episode. We'll do the season two one by one. Um, mm-hmm you know, at whatever pace, like, Mm -hmm. appeals to us. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, also, like, it's just hard for me because, like, I, there's so much about season two that makes me livid just thinking about. (laughs) I just, yeah, (laughs) I know. There's there's some rough, rough patches, and I just don't like Hit List as much as I like Bombshell. I couldn't even so, remember the name of yeah. that thing. I really don't like Hit List. Like I, I can't tell you what that is Don't like Hit List. But there's a lot to talk about, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I don't remember enjoying like individual episodes of season two as much. So that's why I'm kind mm-hmm. of like, oh. But I think let's do, you know, a spoiler blowout of what we remember. Yeah. And then we can um, take it episode by episode. Um mm-hmm. And if we are like, I, do, I can't do it anymore, then we can stop. So, okay. but, or we could fast forward and do like, you know, one, one podcast episode about like the last half of season two, <laughs> because we will own all of season two. So. Yeah, that's true. No, I, I'm just, I'm just thinking about the thing I hate most and getting live. Well, so you know, all right, we'll save it. We'll save it for <laughs> our season two, uh, what we remember, like, almost 10 years later about season two. I think that's fun. Um, so, yeah, I think we smashed it. Yes. All we right. smashed it. We smashed the whole season. Thanks. Thank you to all of our listeners. We know there's yes. a few of you, and that's real cool. This is a fun hobby that... Just two best friends wanted to do, and we've learned a little bit about podcasting. There's more for us to learn, and it's been you know fun meeting some other like Smash fans on Twitter and stuff like that. Um, like I think the best part is just like how lovely that Anne Harada has been to us. Um, just like your support, your like you know just your support has been just very lovely and so sweet and and meaningful. And I really, uh, it, it has thrilled me to no end to like, you know, correspond with you and things like that. So we love you, Anne. You're awesome. And speaking of Anne Harada, if you haven't watched Schmigadoon, watch Schmigadoon. Yeah, watch Schmigadoon. Uh, so yeah, so we are at Talking Smash. Our social meds are in the show notes. <laughs> yes. And so I I kind of tweet exclusively about Real Housewives. So if you're into that, I bet there's overlap. I bet there is. All right. But thank you 
so much, everyone, for going on this extended, uh, you know, journey into Smash. Yay! Yay! All right. We look forward to discussing season two in one way or another. Give me a kiss.